We are in the middle of a series about parenting, and so we're going to kind of jump into that in just a second. Uh, I'm the father of four daughters, um, and because uh, when, when we had our first daughter, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll have a son and they'll play sports and that kind of thing, but all my girls played sports. I'm really kind of very thankful about that because it gave us something to talk about during the week. And all my girls went to schools that weren't large, so they were able to play more than one sport. And so we always had something to talk about. Um, sometimes I didn't know about the sport, and I just made stuff up. You know, soccer, yeah, you run. You know, I don't know, because I didn't grow up playing soccer, that kind of thing. Basketball, I knew a little bit about. I knew nothing about volleyball. That was all new to me. I'd never really played that at all. Uh, baseball, I kind of knew. So when they played softball, I knew a little bit about those things. But one of the things I like most, I have a senior in high school daughter who uh, is in volleyball season now, is after the game we critique and we talk about these were great plays you made and, and uh, what happened here. You know, we kind of analyze, you know, we had a difficult moment, so what do you do to not have that again? I, I love those moments. Uh, I always loved them with my kids. Th there were certain sports, though, I really didn't like. I hated t-ball. I hate t-ball. I hate it. I'm fairly certain Satan invented it. I hate t-ball. Because t-ball is like anybody can play. Everybody plays. You got parents who don't know what they're doing. Uh, and because I'm competitive, I want, when you hit the ball, you run down the first baseline. That's the way baseball is played. When a kid hits the ball and runs down the third baseline, it's not cute. <laughs> they giggle. <laughs> Look at Harry running down the third baseline. Inside, I'm saying, that's just obnoxious. I mean, we're, we're here to play ball. And, and so uh, I'm so happy we, we got through uh, t-ball years. Uh, I think all of them played. I never enjoyed t-ball. But for a, a parent with, with kids who play stuff, you need them to have the right coach. And I've got some coaches in the room today. And, and so I'm going to show you a video of a guy that I, this would be the guy, kind of guy I want to coach my kids right here. All right, so <clears throat> what we're talking about in this series, I always do this warning every time because what you're going to hear during this series runs contrary to current teaching and, and much of what you hear in our society. So 
we've uh, sort of set a baseline. Here are some foundational things that you do uh, in a Christian home. The Bible is to be our guide, not some psychology, not anything that's out there. Uh, the Christian home is marriage-centered, not child-centered. We explained that the first week. It's best for the kid. If you have a strong marriage, it really helps your children. The primary responsibility of a Christian parent or parents is to train your children to love God and be obedient to Him. And so this week we're going to talk about how to bless your kids. What's really interesting, two things I want to make a, a, a note of as we launch into this. One is you have the ability to do this. The things we're talking about, it, does, they, it doesn't require any special skills or talents. You can do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is we're going to talk about how to bless your kids, but really this translates to how you deal with people for the most part. How, how do you how you interact with uh, other adults and, and, and with uh, your family. I mean, th this really will work in most settings. And so, yeah, the title is Four Ways to Bless Your Child, but really it's, it's really ways to bless others. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, my, my wife and my mother-in-law, who lives at our house, uh, they are very planty. They love plants. And for a plant to thrive, they need certain elements to be kind of consistent, right? They need air, they need water, they need soil, they need sunlight, and they need a stable environment. It's not good for a plant to pull it up here and plant it there and put it, you know, really it's best if it kind of is, is planted and stays and occasionally I'll move a plant and oh man, uh, that, that's really not, uh, not good for me uh, when that happens. So, like plants... Kids need certain elements in proper proportion. I mean, you can't have too much water. Uh, that, that's not good. So they need to be in proper proportion. And for our kids to thrive, uh, if you give a plant this in proper pr proportion, it'll thrive. If you give a kid these four things that we're going to talk about today in proper proportion, they'll thrive. It's just how it works. Now, let me set sort of a foundation stone as we're going to kind of build on this. God is a God who blesses. It's kind of in his DNA. It's really, you see it from the very beginning of creation. Let me show you. I honestly don't think I've ever noticed this until this week. God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swims uh, in the, or swarms in the ocean, in the water, and uh, every... A sort of bird, each producing offspring in its same kind, and God saw that it was good. And usually I kind of end there. I kind of, my mind just goes, okay, it was good. But then it says, then God blessed them. So God creates nature, and he blesses it. And then God creates people. Look, so God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And then God bless them. And, and there's this pattern in Scripture where God creates, and then He blesses. He creates, and then He blesses. And then on the seventh day, He rests, and He blesses the seventh day. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's as if God is looking for opportunities to bless and when we become people who bless others, we're reflecting the very nature of God. This is who God is. And if we become blessers, 
This is, uh, we become as much like God as we can be. Uh, God is a giver. We're more like God when we give than when we don't give. Uh, God is a blesser. We're more like God when we bless than when we don't bless. And so we're going to talk about, there are ways to do this that are very, very important and really strategic in the life of children, but also I do believe in adults as well. So we're going to look at the Old Testament story of Isaac, um, who blessed his son Jacob. And this story is really complex, and Isaac had a favorite son, and it wasn't Jacob, it was Esau, and Jacob kind of tricks him into a blessing. What's really interesting about the blessing is it still was powerful in the life of Jacob. And so let's sort of jump right in. What's the one way, and again, you can do this, it's really important, but the first way, or maybe the best way to bless your child is through meaningful touch, through meaningful touch. And you're all probably familiar with that story of the four-year-old little girl, and there was a, a, a storm outside, and it's lightning and thundering and that sort of thing, and, and she runs into the room, and, and she jumps in bed with her mom and dad, and her dad says, honey, you know the Lord is, is with you, and, and she says, yeah, but right now I need somebody with skin on. And sometimes we just need somebody to, with skin on that, that can, can touch us, and, and touches this this powerful thing that we can do that will really blesses others. So let's kind of jump into our story. We're in Genesis 27. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him. And then Isaac, uh, his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And he would have kissed him on the cheek, and that's how it goes. And we who are parents, when our kids are small, this is really easy to do for the most part. Little kids like to be cuddled. I mean, when a, when a child falls and scrapes her knee, I mean, what does she want? She wants somebody to scoop her up and put a Band-Aid on her, her, her boo-boo and, and, and hug her. And, and this is the thing we crave when we're hurt. And I'm not sure we ever grow out of it. You have a bad moment in your life. What do you need? You need somebody to tell you you're okay, right? I mean, one of the blessings for me of being married is I have the joy of sharing success with my wife, but I also have the, the joy, the, the blessing of having someone to share my difficulties with, my struggles, my failures. We... We grow up, but we don't grow out of that. And so Jacob comes in, and, and Isaac wants to, to, to touch him and, and bless him. And we think this is just for kids. When this story happens, Jacob is 40 years old. It's not like it, he was a little boy when it happened. And we see it in the ministry of Jesus, how he touched people. A man with leprosy came to Jesus, begging him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean and filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And you know, don't you, that this was illegal in, in, Jewish, in Jewish life? You, you, you didn't touch a leper because leprosy was contagious. And so this detail in this story is incredibly powerful. We read through it, it's like, okay, well, he touched him. Well, it's a big deal. Because nobody touched lepers. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Paul Brand, and he worked in, in India with, with leprosy victims. And he was talking about, he writes, he writes some amazing books, but he talks about 
how uh, as, as a doctor he was meeting a, a leprosy patient, a leprosy patient, and in the process of examining him, he, he put his hand on his shoulder, and, and the guy began to weep. And, and as a doctor, I mean, Dr. Brand was worried that maybe he had hurt the man in some way or uh, caused some pain, and so he asked his translator, can you, can you ask him why he's crying? And the translator asked him, and, and the response was, he, he, this, this young man is crying because he hasn't been touched by anyone in years. The power of touch, Jesus understood it. Look at this text. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. A really interesting text. But the disciples told them that, to not bother him. I mean, you talk about uh, not getting it. They just didn't get it. But when Jesus saw what was happening, he was very displeased with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then look. And then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their head, and he blessed them. See, God is all about this. There is a tremendous power in human touch. When we touch someone, we, uh, we, we transmit uh, information. We're saying something to them. When we touch someone, it, it reflects warmth, affirmation, attention, affection. If you withhold it, it reflects resentment, loneliness, insecurity. Uh, meaningful touch blesses a person emotionally, physically, relationally. Listen to these benefits physically. Meaningful touch will lower your blood pressure. It will protect uh, school-grade kids uh, from being involved in immoral relationships when they uh, grow up a little later. It can add as much as two years to your life. Study has been done where nursing home patients, if they don't have family nearby, those who have a pet... They uh, thrive, they live longer, they have a more positive outlook on life. Doctors who touch their patients are perceived to be more caring and to spend longer with their patients, even if they don't spend longer than anyone else. Just the act of touch causes one to think that. UCLA research has found that a person needs between 8 and 10 meaningful touches every day. When we lack it... It causes dysfunction in a person. Dr. Mark Hollander writes, he's a, a psychiatrist, he writes that um, women who engage in promiscuous sexual activity were, quote, overwhelmingly consciously aware that sexual activity was a price to be paid for being cuddled and held. Is it just for girls? No. There's a guy named Dr. Keltner. He did some research on, um, on uh, professional athletes, professional basketball players. And he started watching, uh, sort of analyzing teams and their chemistry. And you know, if you've played sports before, uh, one of the things I, I love about, I was watching this yesterday uh, at one of the college games, uh, somebody made a, a face mask penalty or a, a pretty egregious uh, error in, in a, on a play. It was a great play, but you know, he got called for a personal foul, and it's 15 yards, and it's a big deal, and they had stopped the team, and now it was going to be a big deal. And, but you watch what happens with teammates. They... They uh, hug the guy. They, they tap him on his helmet. They, they whisper in the ear hole, you know, it's okay. And, and they're giving uh, words of affirmation, but they're also touching, and it's okay. And, and they pull him, you know, pick him up and that kind of thing. Well, Dr. Keltner w observed professional basketball players. 
And he, he noticed the teams that, you know, do the high fives and the chest bumps and the booty pats and all that kind of thing. The ones that did that the most were the most successful, interestingly enough. This is what his research, uh, his research discovered. He says, teams whose players touch one another and did a lot better than those teams who didn't. And he concludes that touch lowers stress, builds morale, produces victory. And meaningful touch is something we all can do. We, we shake hands when you come in church, a pat on the back. It means something to us. And you might not have ever noticed it before, but it means something to most of us. I, I really kind of didn't love when we had the COVID and we had to do the fist bump. It's just not the same. And a, a, a nice pat on the back or a handshake, you know, or a, an opportunity to, to kind of touch somebody. There's something powerful in that. And it's something you can do for your kids. Now, I probably ought to issue a caution. In a, in a highly sexualized world and in a highly sexualized environment, you have to be careful. And so, as a pastor, if I'm hugging a woman or a girl, unless it's my family, typically, uh, it's a side hug. I just, you just kind of have to be, you have to be aware. Uh, accusations happen. But don't let that caution cause you to not be affectionate with people. Meaningful touch is so powerful that we shouldn't uh, keep it from people. The second thing, also powerful and also something we all can do, are encouraging words. When Isaac caught the smell of, of Jacob's clothes, he blessed his son and he said, The smell of my son is the good smell of the open fields that the Lord has blessed. And if I come up to you and say, You smell like a, a field, boy, uh, that's a compliment, evidently. My Uncle Paul, who was a dairy farmer, wouldn't have thought so, but maybe so. We all need words of encouragement. A few weeks ago, we had a lady uh, from out of, uh, out of state, and she took the time to come up and see me after church. It was always nice. I always like to meet people. And, and she said, you are so much better than our pastor back home. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe. I don't, you know, it's kind of the fake humble of really. Of the... Yeah, then she said, he could talk for an hour and say nothing, and you do it in half the time. <laughs> really not what I was looking for. I think she meant it as a compliment, but I'm not sure. In Proverbs, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So we have this opportunity within us to speak affirming, encouraging words. Every day you have a chance. I knew a, a young man, I was a, a youth pastor, he was, uh, wasn't part of my group, but I knew him. His name, his parents had named him Rebel, and he lived up to it. Every time his, his parents called by him by name, he was reminded of their expectation of him, and he rebelled. I mean, he was a hellion, and he went to, uh, he went to counseling, and one of the things his counselor suggested was... Uh, Maybe you should choose a different name for yourself. Because words have this amazing power. In Scripture, names mean things. Joseph means God will increase. Look at my waistline. It's true. Uh, it's just how it works. We don't enrich our kids with negative words. 
I, I was a youth pastor, and there was a guy in my church, and he called his teenage daughter, and he meant this to be a joke. He called her heifer. And he thought it was funny. And you could see her wilt. Now, good news. I was with both of them a few years ago, recently, the last few years. They have a great relationship. Didn't ruin the relationship, but it didn't help it. He probably stopped it, I hope. We don't enrich our children by being silent. Old school was, you don't do these things. But the Bible says, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's within your power to act. We, we all need encouraging words. We all need it. My dad was a member of my church when I lived in Kentucky. He was my first pastorate. I was very green, wasn't very good. Um, my dad and my mom joined our church after, I don't know, a couple years, and they were members probably three or four years. And it meant the world to me. When my daddy said I did a good job. My mother's 90 years old. She watches the video of this every week. I know when she watches because right after she watches, she'll send me a text and she'll compliment the sermon. They're not all good, but she thinks they are. And it means, it means the world to me. We don't enrich our kids, though, if we only praise their success. It's important for our kids to understand we love them even if they're not successful. We're proud of them even if they don't hit a home run or make a touchdown or sing the solo in the school play. Just out of the blue, let them know that you're proud of them. You're glad to have them around. If we only praise success, you might uh, create a workaholic or someone who is withdrawn. And as I say, there are many reasons people used to give, kind of old school, hey, I don't want to uh, compliment them because I'm afraid they'll get the big head. I, I don't want to uh, compliment them because I'm afraid if I compliment them too early, they won't finish the job. I don't want to compliment them because I, I don't exactly know what to say. I had one lady tell me, uh, praise is like perfume, a little is good, but too much stinks. Except, none of that's in Scripture. The Bible says a word aptly spoken like apples of gold in settings of silver. That means it is eminently valuable. Words need to be unconditional. Compliment them when they work when they do a good job. Thank you for picking up your room. I'm proud of you for just being you. You're extremely good looking, just like me. Say stuff like that. Our lives have been better because you're here. Uh, these are things our kids need to hear. A third thing is picture a special future for them. So, 
Isaac is blessing his son Jacob, and he says, he kind of prays, May God always give you plenty of dew for healthy crops and good harvests of grain and wine. And if you're into agriculture, that is a great blessing. May you always have success. When we speak words of affirmation and when we uh, picture a special future, we're saying you're worthy of respect. You're becoming someone. We recognize your potential. We don't excuse bad behavior. That's not what I'm talking about. But when they show themselves to be good, you, you speak. Maybe they're good at something. Maybe they have an interest in something. Maybe they have an interest in something and they're not good at it yet, but they really try hard. I talked about uh, Abraham was sort of the patriarch, and he blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac blessed Jacob, and Jacob had a bunch of sons, and he blessed them all. One of them's name was Judah, and he said, Judah, you are like a lion cub. What do you think about... Lion cubs are, are cute, but they have power in potential. And lion cubs become lions, and they are bad. He said to his son, Naphtali, you are a doe let loose. And if you've ever seen a deer bounding across a field, you know how graceful and elegant they are. And I think this boy was probably artistic, and he saw he has much grace. He is, he is different than his brother. To Joseph, he said, you are a fruitful tree by a spring. There's nothing more fruitful than a tree by a spring. They have a constant source of water. Jesus did it. He had a friend named Simon. He called Rocky. You are the rock. In the early church, there was a guy named Barnabas, but that's his nickname. His real name is Joseph. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Can't you imagine Barnabas coming into a room and talking to everyone and telling them how great they are? Oh, you're doing great. A special way that we give focused attention to our kids, put, put, put the phone down. Don't have the radio on when you're in the car with you. Spend prolonged time with your kids. Do they need quality or quantity? Yes, they need both. Now, over Labor Day weekend, uh, we went to, to Kentucky to celebrate my mother's 90th birthday. We took two cars. I took my mom up on Friday. Elise had a, a, a school activity. And so my, my wife, my mother-in-law, and my daughter, they came uh, on Saturday. And we had a party on Saturday. And then Sunday we got up and we went to church. And then we had lunch. And then we headed back to South Carolina. So we have two cars, and I just assume Elise, my 17-year-old, she's going to ride in the car with her mother and her grandmother. That's my assumption. But when it came time to leave, she wanted to ride with me, which is this great gift. I mean, isn't it a gift? When your 17-year-old daughter wants to spend time with you, in a car, captive audience, six hours. We talked. We listened to a book. We talked about the book. We, we sometimes didn't talk. We just were together. Being together, it's important. It speaks of their future. I enjoy you. In September of 22, the American Heart Association did a survey of 1,000 adults. 91% said 
said that their family was less stressed when they shared meals together. 91%. said they wish they could share meals together more often. Dr. Eric Michos said, sharing meals with others is a great way to reduce stress, boost self-esteem, and improve social connection, particularly for kids. He goes on to say, chronic, constant stress can cause increase, uh, can also increase your, your lifetime risk of health disease. So if you're not doing that, uh, if you're not uh, connecting, it increases your risk of heart disease and stroke. Bottom line is, eat together or you're going to die. Uh, that's what the survey says. So have a family meal together. Put your phones down. Just spend some time together. And when you speak a future to your kids, let them know, this is something I can see for you. Hey, you're, you're really great at, uh, with your hands. Have you ever thought about being a mechanic? Mechanics make good, a good living. Maybe you could be a welder. Maybe, maybe you could work on uh, you know, uh, HVAC. Those are great jobs. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Or you're great with numbers. Have you thought about getting into banking or maybe being an accountant? These are things I could see that you do. You're really great at arguing. I could see you being a lawyer or a husband. Uh, you, you, say, you say these things. I can see these things in you. And then he prays, he further prays, may, may many nations become your servants. May you be the master of your brothers. It's like, do you have a favorite, Dad? I guess so. Uh, may, you all, may all your mother's sons bow low before you. All who curse you are cursed. All who blessed you are blessed. You, my son, are going to be somebody. This is what he's saying. You're going to be somebody. You're going to make something of yourself. Some of us had parents like that who said, you're going to be somebody. You're going to make something of yourself. Some of us didn't have that. If you received it, do you appreciate that blessing? If you didn't, wouldn't you have liked that? As a parent of kids, don't you think they probably need to hear that you think they're going to be somebody? They're going to make something of themselves? Jesus was so good about this. Right before he was crucified, he said to his friends, In my Father's house are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. You have a future, and it is with me. We get to be together. I mean, this is one of the greatest pictures ever painted. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a preferable future. This is going to be what we get to do together for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity. One last one. Have an active commitment to them. Now, Isaac uh, prays this blessing on him. Hey, these are the things I think you're going to have uh, good harvests and you're going to be a leader. This is what I see for you. But it's one thing to say, hey, I can see you have potential in this. It's another thing to put your money where your mouth is. 
If you say, hey, I can see you're going to be a great pianist, but you don't provide lessons or a piano, well, then it kind of falls short. So you say, I'm going to make a commitment to you that you can do the things that I can see in you. Don't push them. Don't make them. But if you see they have a bent towards something, then you, uh, you offer them support. How do you do it? The best way you do it is by praying for them. I, I have four daughters. I pray for them every day. I, I pray that they would be successful in their work. Elise is still in school. I pray that she'll be successful in school. Uh, I pray that they'll be successful uh, in, in their lives. You know, uh, Two of them are married. Uh, I, I pray uh, for their spouses. Uh, we, we, we pray um, for their teachers. We pray for their future spouses. These are things we can pray for them. We provide resources. It's one thing to say, I, I believe you can do this. It's another thing to actually uh, pay for things. You, you, you give them your time, your money, your energy. And then this one is really important. You also discipline them. I want to show you a verse. This is super interesting to me. In Proverbs, it says, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and don't get angry when He corrects you. And I don't know about you, but I don't love the Lord's discipline. But I'm instructed here to not reject it, to think about it. If something goes the wrong way, then maybe God's telling me something. And then he says, the Lord corrects those he loves just as parents correct the child they delight in. And I never considered the fact that my mom and my dad, when they were correcting me, were delighting in me. But you know what you're saying? When you correct your kids, when you discipline them, you're saying, I believe you can be better than you are. I believe you're better than that. I'm not going to let you just go crazy because you're better than that. My dad used to say to me, I would go out with my friends on a Friday or a Saturday night, and as I walked out the door, my dad would say to me, remember who you are. Remember who you are. What he was saying was, hey, you're a vest, and people know me, and people know your mama. We're the vests. When you go out there... You're representing, whether you want to or not, you can't undo this. You're representing the vests. Remember who you are. See, what he was just saying is, I have an expectation for you. It's not bad for somebody to have an expectation for you. Listen, discipline isn't always appreciated. I know I didn't appreciate it. Then, I appreciate it now. When I went to seminary, I thought I was going to be a professor. We, I went to Southwestern in Fort Worth, Texas. I met a, a beautiful woman in one of my first classes. Her name was Miriam. Uh, she wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be a missionary. We, we thought we were going to be, uh, I thought I was going to teach in a seminary overseas. 
So, as Southern Baptists, uh, the Southern Baptists are great at sending missionaries. So, Miriam and I were uh, first started dating. <laughs> uh, we started dating in September, got engaged in November, got married the next June. She knew a good thing. Uh, you know, is how that goes. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how that went. So, we're dating, and they say, there's an announcement, uh, hey, if you're interested in, in uh, missions, uh, then you want to come to this meeting. So we go to this meeting, and there's a guy there, and, and he says, okay, to be a full-time missionary with the Southern Baptists after you graduate from seminary, you have to uh, have a, a master's degree, and you have to have served in a church for two years. And it's like, well, I don't really want to be a pastor. I want to be a teacher. So I went up to him after it was over with, and I said, dude, I know uh, that's the rule for most people. But what about me? You know, because I don't want to do that. And he's like, it was great. He said, son, in fact, he put his hand on me. I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder. And he said, son, when you go overseas to teach, what do you think you're going to teach? I'm like, well, I don't know. And he said, you're going to teach pastors how to be pastors. Don't you think you need some experience? That made sense to me. So I applied for jobs. Mostly youth jobs because <laughs> anybody can be a youth pastor. Uh, so uh, I tried for youth jobs. That was back then, not now. I mean, now it's really hard. I became a youth pastor uh, in Pleasant Grove, Texas, which is a southern suburb of Dallas. And my, my pastor became my friend, and man, I watched him. And I appreciated when he would say, hey, Joseph, that was good. And I appreciated when he said, hey, Joseph, why did you do that? And, and sometimes it would be, why did you do that? And I would explain it. And he goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And sometimes it would be, why did you do that? And I would explain it. And he goes, well, okay, well, let's think about this. Because when you're young, you don't always think about, you know, you, you, when you're older, you can play the movie forward because you've done stuff. Right, if I do this, that will lead to this and that and that. And the, the road leads me there. So I might not want to do that. But when you're young, you're, you're not, you don't know that. And so Brian would help me. Pastor Brian would say, okay, let's think this through. And, and I was his youth pastor for two years. And then he took a position in Richardson. So Pleasant Grove was a transitioning community, kind of a pure, poor community. And we went up to Rich, Richardson, which is a wealthy community. And the way you pastor a poor church and a rich church are vastly different. Rich people aren't used to being told no. That's just how it is. And so I watched. I, you talk about an education. Well, I was, I was watching Brian deal with this group, and then I'm watching Brian deal with this group, but totally different. And as a youth pastor, they try to find you something to do. You have youth obligations, but in that particular church, I had the obligation of uh, making the announcements every Sunday. I was the announcement boy, you know? And so I consider myself somewhat funny, and so I was always trying to think of funny things to say, and this one particular Sunday, we had an announcement. I'll never forget it. The announcement was about, um, there, there was a group called the Baptist Young Women, and the Baptist young women were having some event, a bazaar, or they were having a, a, a you know, cookout. I don't know what they were having, but they, the Baptist young women, women were having something. 
And uh, before church, uh, one of the Baptist Young Women leaders said to me, she said, uh, when you invite people to this event, uh, make sure you invite all the women in the church. Okay, I can do it. So I stood up and I made the announcement, the Baptist Young Women are having a picnic and they want you to know all you Baptist old women are welcome to come too. And the room, it was, it was surreal. There was a, <gasps> and then it was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You know, I was like, I, I don't know any better. I'm walking off and Brian's coming to preach. <laughs> and Brian looked at me and he said, been nice knowing you. Uh, that, that was... <laughs> After church, now, now I'm bracing the whole, I'm listening. That was back in the day when, when the, the staff would sit on stage. That's horrible, by the way. That is horrible when the staff has to sit on stage. Brian was preaching one time. I'm sitting on stage in my little, like, special chair, you know, and everybody's watching you because they're like, he's not any good. Uh, and so Brian was preaching one time, and he started talking about a microfying glass, which isn't a thing. He meant to say magnifying glass, but he kept saying microfying glass. It was comical. So I'm sitting in my little chair right here, and there are two little blue-haired ladies right here. And one of them looks at the other, and she, and she said, microfying glass? What's a microfying glass? And I, I've just got to grit my teeth, and I'm like, I want to go up and say, Brian, dude, it's not a microfying glass. Anyway, um, we all need people. It has nothing to do with this whole sermon, and we're about to be done, and I, I, sh I wish I hadn't said that. So, let's review. The story about the youth pastor thing made sense. That whole microphone glass, I just threw it in. That's extra for you. You're welcome. Okay. We bless people, even our children, maybe mostly our children. And again, because we're parents, we have this special relationship with our kids. When we offer them touch, it's more meaningful. When we offer them encouraging words, they're more meaningful. It's meaningful when other people encourage me. It's more meaningful when my, when my mom texts me, means something to me. When she said, last week she said, uh, that was a great sermon on parenting. I wish I had had that. And I'm like, Mom, look how good we turned out. I mean, you know, you didn't need that sermon, but that meant something. When we provide meaningful touch as parents, it's more meaningful. When we provide encouraging words, they're more meaningful. We're kind of the only ones that can speak a specific future into their lives, although teachers sometimes do that for kids. We're the ones who have an active commitment. We're the ones who finance their dreams. And we can all do it. We, these are things that we can do. You, you don't have to have a lot of money to encourage your child. You don't have to have any money to speak words of encouragement, to offer a meaningful touch. You can do these things. And they're meaningful to your kids. Father, I pray a blessing on us who are parents. Help us to train our kids to Teach our kids to love God more than anything else. Help us to have an active commitment to our marriage so they can see what a strong home looks like. I pray for each and every parent in this room that they would be godly and kind and compassionate, encouraging, 
I pray, Lord, your blessings on them. Bless them so they can bless their kids. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.